Alrighty, so uh, I made it back from Hawaii alive. Uh, it's a long flight over a lot of water, but I'm back, Adam. <laughs> it's a long flight over a lot of water. I just want to complain about, like, oh, I had to go to Hawaii, and it's such a long flight. Oh, it, well, it is a long flight, but I, I can't. I mean, I guess I've I've done Europe before, so I I know what it's like to fly over a lot of water. But even when you go to Europe, man, like at least when you leave from California, where we live, it's like you fly over so much land before you ever get there. And even when you do fly over the Atlantic, it's really not that long. It's like because you go, you know, way, 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 way up over what is it? It's Iceland, because um, I think that's what Greenland. it is. Yeah. Greenland, Iceland. I don't know. They always, I always get them confused. I know the, the icy ones, the green one, and the green ones, the icy one. But yeah, anyway, it's like you spend like an hour and a half, maybe over the water, and then you, and then you're overland again, and then you fly over that, and you, and then, then there's the other side coming down, and there's like maybe another hour and a half, and then you're there. Um, but yeah, man, like just looking out the window and just flying for like five hours straight, nothing but water. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I guess it's like it's all blue. Everything's blue, but. The nice thing about like going to Europe, because I've also flown to Europe, is there's the big long stint that you have. Did you fly direct from California to Europe? I guess is a question I have first. Yes, I did. I have flown direct most every time from LA to Paris usually is how I go. Or I've done LA to London. So yep. Alright, so you yeah, like we, we switch planes in, you know, like Chicago or someplace, Boston somewhere, you know. So whenever I've gone, like we've switched planes. So it's kind of nice because you get off the plane, you stretch around a little bit, and then you get on for, you know, the other six hours it is, right? Uh, and that wasn't bad. So I don't know about a direct flight because how long is the direct flight? It's what, eight hours? No, it's like nine, ten, eleven back. Um, like, you know, because you're going against all that jet stream. Yeah, I, I guess if you can fall asleep on a plane, you know, which is one of the hard things to do. If you can do that, then great. Or if you have enough to entertain you, then, you know, flying isn't that bad. But I don't know, man. I guess flying to to Europe is different than flying to Hawaii for me. Because flying to Hawaii, I'm like, ooh, Hawaii, right? Like, it's all this water. But once you get there, it's beaches and, you know, like, sand and sun and hopefully sun. You know, hopefully it's not raining and stuff. But I, I guess it's different. And then you get, you know, you get laid when you get off the plane. So. Yep, definitely true. Um, I You know, and... Yeah, I have to, you know, if I'm fully honest, um, the times I've been to Europe, I have had the luxury of flying in basically all three classes, if you will. I've flown first, I've flown business, and I've flown coach. So I've seen all three of those. And um, I would say the vast majority of the times I've been, I've flown business. Um, like six times, I think I've been. I think four of them were business. One was first and one was coach. So I've done... All of those, um, so I, I know what it's like in, in all three cabins. But obviously, when you're in business, it's a little more like you know sleeping isn't a problem really. So I've never really had that problem. I was able to always get some sleep, and it I don't know the direct flights just seem to be less taxing in the way that like you leave LA usually in the late afternoon, three four o'clock. They serve dinner, you roughly go to bed, you get like two, three, maybe four hours of sleep, depending on, you know, how long you can sleep. And then you wake up, they serve you breakfast and you land and it's like 10 a.m. And so 
it just feels like a night with a really little amount of sleep, which for me, I usually can like fight through. And then, you know, that first day I'm there, I, I just fight through the day and, and uh, pass out that night like early. Well, that's what you're supposed to do to readjust, right? Like, yeah, don't take a nap. Like, God forbid you take a nap. If you ever take a nap, you're going to be screwed. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's worked out well for me. I mean, I, uh, at least when I've gone that way and, and I've had the opportunity to sleep, it's worked out well. Um, but it's funny you say you stopped in Chicago um, because the time I flew back and didn't fly direct, I, f- I also connected in Chicago and um, there was there was a flight attendant <laughs> or, or not a flight attendant, but a, you, I don't know what you call the people at the counter um, at the airport. But basically they said, oh, you're flying to Chicago. And I said, um, what the heck is that? And she was French and she was trying to say Chicago. Um, I guess the French call Chicago Chicago. So <laughs> it's exactly how it looks. I get it. But <laughs> I was a little confused at like 18. Like, um, yeah, are, are you sure we got the right airport here? I, I want to go home to America. <laughs> what, you don't want to go to exotic Chicago? Yeah, and, right. <laughs> and see the sights? It sounds like a pretty island, you know, like. I think there's like beautiful sandy beaches in Chicago. Yeah, maybe we should like buy an an island at him. We'll just name it Chicago. No, I think about renovating the existing Chicago, like make it a beach town. This is true. I can we we can definitely make it a beach town. We just need a, a little more warmth up there these days. It's a bit cold. A little more sun. Just wait till global warming catches up. You know, that's fine. A little more sun. <laughs> just import a lot of sand from you know these other islands that don't that have too much sand or some desert somewhere, right? Like we can get some sand from there. Seems reasonable. Put in a bunch of sand. Yeah. And then, uh, water, you know, when the ice melts enough, then we'll just, it'll be a beach anyway. Yep. Very true. Anyway, so I'm back. Um, but moving along. Uh, so the next thing I see here, Adam, is you're trying a new keyboard. What is this, uh, business about you, uh, or trying a new keyboard layout? Um, can you, can you fill me in here a little bit? So, yeah, I guess it kind of came up because my oldest daughter was uh, asking why they laid out the keys a certain way on a keyboard. And so I was like, you know, I I feel like I know the answer, but kind of one of those things like you never want to give your kid like misinformation. So I looked it up and I was like, okay, well, we use QWERTY. We've used QWERTY forever. And the reason we use QWERTY is because in typewriters, you know, it prevented the hammers from smacking against each other. But then you look into it and it's like QWERTY isn't actually that efficient in terms of uh, typing and in terms of like finger movement. It, it's actually really inefficient because a lot of the letters that you commonly use are in different places and you have to kind of stretch your fingers or do like hops over different rows to get to different characters. So I started looking at other layouts and, you know, we were just doing this uh, when I was showing my oldest daughter and uh, Dvorak came out, which I had heard of before and I never really used. So I was like, you know what, like maybe I'll, I'll look at this again because it's more of a modern layout where the home row contains like most of the commonly used characters. Um, so. I started trying that out and God, it's like, you know, having over 25 years, you know, just working with QWERTY for so long, it's almost painful to try to, you know, get rid of that muscle memory. But I started taking just typing tests on the side and I figured, you know what, like always try to keep yourself learning. So this is just another way for me to learn something new or try something new and kind of challenge my brain slash muscle memory. And then who knows, maybe if I get, you know, good enough at it, this will be my primary input method. But for now, I'm kind of rocking between QWERTY and Dvorak, just depending on my mood. And like I said, just taking a lot of typing tests. So if you ever remember typing tests in, you know, grade school, 
where you have to get the car to drive, you know, and every time you type a correct word, the car drives faster and your whole goal is to beat the other car. I'm like doing that with Dvorak keyboard now. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I was kind of hated typing class, um, for the, I don't know. They, it's something about like school, right? Like I, as a kid, I never wanted to like be forced to learn how to type, you know, but as I got, um, older and just more into computers myself, like I, I found myself using home keys more and, and like the home row and just kind of like naturally falling into that. But, um, I think like kids, most kids, you know, uh, you're forced to read a book and you're like, yeah, nope, not into it. You know, pick any book you want. And you're like, yeah, maybe I'll try to read a little bit more or something like that. So, um, you know, that's, that's cool. I'm glad you're, uh, exploring a little bit. Yeah. So far it's been, it's been fun. So I'll let you know, maybe someday I'll be typing, you know, in on the actual Dvorak key, keyboard layout and I didn't get like a new keyboard. So I'm just like switching the key mappings, you know, which is really easy to do in any modern OS. Right. But the other thing is there's no good, like, iOS keyboards for Dvorak. Like, there's nothing out there. There's one that, you know, there are a couple that are paid and they look okay, but I, I want, like, just a stock iOS keyboard with Dvorak. Like, that would be awesome. But I don't know. I may have to, like, live that hybrid lifestyle of, like, QWERTY on the phone and Dvorak on the, the keyboard, the actual desktop physical keyboard. We'll see. That sounds a little tough, but I mean, like, some serious mental agility there, you know? <laughs> kind of like, uh, cross training your your fingers or they they say that you know there's been studies out there where if you like switch and learn a new language or switch your profession halfway through your life that it kind of helps uh combat the symptoms of alzheimer's stuff like that because you're constantly learning new things or you're forced to learn new things and i guess exercise your brain for lack of a better term and i i'm not going to you know like quote any like actual research that's been done because i just remember seeing an article and skimming it you know and hearing people talk about it but from what i hear it's cool and i'll have to do some research into that but hey man i'm 30 you know like almost 31 so it might be time for me to start you know flexing those brain muscles again very true very true so uh moving along there's uh flamethrowers uh kind of in the news uh i know elon musk is kind of doing his own thing with a another company and this is kind of you know par for the course with elon like he comes up with a new idea and it's like hey you know maybe we should make a company out of that and kind of put some resources on it but uh what's going on with the flamethrowers adam so yeah if anyone doesn't know elon musk has a bunch of different companies right one of them is the boring company it's his uh his tunnel boring project right where he wants to you know bore a bunch of tunnels underneath la and be able to have like super quick transit, you know, across, you know, the the state basically. So where you can live in San Francisco, you know, drive your Tesla to this, you know, big tunnel, get in this tunnel, which is kind of like a hyperloop, and then get on this little sled, and then it rockets your Tesla, you know, down this tunnel at super high speeds with zero traffic, you know, with a bunch of other cars into LA and then spit you back out on LA roads. Uh, so that's that's the concept of the boring company and usually what they do and this is what i feel like they're just trying to make a quick buck right like it's where it's like we're dumping all this money into this r&d and into all this equipment like it'd be nice if we could make some money which if you've ever looked at like tesla merchandise where they sold like a keychain battery charger that they sold for 85 dollars that has a tesla battery in it you know like people go nuts for that stuff so they started selling flamethrowers with the the boring company and now I think it's been rebranded to not a flamethrower because I'm sure there was some, you know, legal 
argument that you can't be selling weapons, you know, or something like that. But yeah, they're selling like flamethrowers and I guess they had like 20,000 pre-orders for these things and they're not cheap uh, from what I remember. So hey, it's just Elon making another, you know, another buck to keep his companies above water. So I don't know. Part of me from like a weapons perspective is kind of like, isn't, do you, do you not have to like have any sort of, um, a background check or anything to buy these, or is this just like anybody can buy this because you know you can buy a can of propane at the store and hook up a flamethrower or do it if you will, you know? I mean, you can build your own, or is it just kind of like, yeah, you know, anybody can sign up and buy it? I'm not sure if you did any research into that, Adam, but I'm just kind of curious around the thought of that. Oh, I no, I didn't do any research. Um, the way the way I guess it is is it's a personal fire device. So you've never seen um, Heartbreakers, so I don't think you get that reference. But Nope. But I guess they're sold out, right? So yeah, it says 20,000 sold. Sales are now complete. The world's safest flamethrower. Like, okay. Fire extinguisher <laughs> sold separately. <laughs> right? So I don't know. It's I don't think it might could be considered a weapon. Like, it may have been at some point. But I think it's, you know, like, same thing. When you go to, like, buy some paint you know, or some aerosol thing at a department store, they usually have to check your ID or make sure you're over 18, right? Because that stuff can be dangerous or you can't be huffing it or whatever. So I'm sure like someone somewhere got upset. And now that the pre-orders are done, just get a flamethrower or hopefully someone got a flamethrower. So we can see some YouTube videos on it other than the one that they have. And when it doesn't ship in six months, we'll, you know, just laugh. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, uh, moving on to a little bit of follow up. I know uh, it's been a couple weeks now, but basically the last time you and I talked, we talked a little bit about um, music and we talked a little bit about podcasting too, and just what our workflow looks like. Um, But in a little bit of news, um, Rogue Amoeba, who makes some of the apps that we use, um, came out with a new app for podcasters pretty much um and anybody really in the music community but it's like a soundboarding app and i may like butcher this name but i i think the pronunciation is uh fargo or fargo i'm not 100 percent positive on that um but adam i think you took a look at this uh this week did did it look pretty cool i mean if you're into soundboards yeah it's cool right uh, there are tons of like different soundboards out there and you can basically set up anything to queue off a sound based off, you know, just a key press, but Rogue Amoeba, you know, they full disclosure, like we use a lot of their, their products to kind of create this show uh, just from recording our audio to, you know, setting up um, our future live stream and stuff like that. So we use their products and they're really focused around just kind of like that audio aspect. And this is, I guess, just a really nice way if you wanted to add sound effects into like a live production, like, Twitch streamers, you know, um, just anyone looking to have like a live broadcast and add, you know, some extra flair into that and get a soundboard. This is, you know, a pretty decent solution out there, it looks like. And I've looked at it and nothing, you know, has impulsed me to like pull that trigger, you know, to pay money for this because I do everything in post, you know that. And Adam doesn't pay money for very much, too. So there's that, too. It's really hard to get me to throw money at something. <laughs> very true. Very true. I can't even throw money at Lou. Like, I won't even do it. Yep. Yep. Still waiting here. Uh, 
So my shorts, Adam, I, I know you remar- remarked about them in the episode about John. So did you, uh, you happen to click on the link and see the price of them or what, what happened? <laughs> on the topic of throwing money at things, right? Yeah. So, so when I was with John and, you know, when we talked last time, you know, you mentioned that you had a bad retail experience. I'm like, okay, whatever with your Lululemon shorts, you know? And I was like, all right. I like how you say it like the brand is French. <laughs> you know, like I figure it's got some fans to it, you know? Especially after looking at the price, I'm like, man, these things are fancy. Like, what if am I doing? If the shorts are fifty eight dollars, there's got to be an accent somewhere in here. <laughs> fifty eight dollars, yeah. So over sixty bucks, you know, once you figure in tax, California tax, sixty two. Yeah, right. Ugh. So I was like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm like, you're spending this much on a pair of shorts, and I know you said you like your pair of shorts and you'll buy a bunch of shorts, but I'm like, oh, shorts. Shorts will wear out, man. Shorts are one of the things like you wear every day and it goes on one of the filthiest parts of your body. So why are you spending that much money on shorts? Like that's way too expensive. So I I, I have to say I I kind of didn't buy into the Kool-Aid for quite a long time with Lululemon and said, you know, hey, I'm not going to, you know, jump in because of the same reasons you're talking about. Like, hey, you know, I don't, you're going to wear them out or whatever. And most of my basketball shorts that I just bought before them were pretty much, yeah, they were like, mm, I'll own them for a year or two and then they'll be worn out and I'll have to just throw them out and get a new pair. Um, but my first pair of Lululemon shorts that I have are probably four, maybe five years old now and don't look any different than the new pair that I'm getting. And they have a lifetime warranty on their, all their clothes. So if their clothes snag, rip or fade, you walk into the store and they basically give you, uh, some money back, uh, towards buying a new one or they'll fix it. One of the two and they'll give you half of your shorts back in money. So you get 30 bucks, which will buy like one pant leg, you know? <laughs> so you'd be really surprised about that, though. Um, the only person I know that's ever had a problem is uh, my girlfriend. And um, she had a pair of like, you know, $100 leggings from them. And they gave her 80 bucks and they were like three years old. So I was quite surprised at the amount they gave her uh, towards something else. And so she was like, all right, well, they said they can't be fixed. So here's 80 bucks to the store. Go get what you want. Um, so, yeah, she had to throw in another 20 bucks. But, I mean their quote unquote warranty or whatever you want to call it speaks, you know, well of the company. And, um, I've been happy with them. I will say though, like you said on the show, I haven't paid 60 bucks for every pair that I've bought. Um, a lot of them I've bought, you know, like from the outlet that is closest to me, which is like, it's like an hour away. And so I pay more like 35, 38. So it's like, it's a good 20 bucks off or so. I understand that's still high, but you know, it's a lot better. And you said these are basketball shorts, so they're not even like short shorts, like shorts you'd wear every day. They're just for working out. Yeah, they're like they're working out shorts mainly. I mean, I I definitely wear them out. Like I don't, they're 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 okay enough that you can wear them in public and not look like you're a slob. If that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, they're fancy shorts. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 a little they're like a step above my like Reebok. <laughs> basketball shorts that are at the very very bottom of the drawer yeah that were twenty dollars and are six years old and still look okay yeah they're, they're they're looking a little raggedy at this point i need to probably just get rid of them but you know hey whatevs um go back yeah. to reebok and say reebok i want my money back and <laughs> see what they say yeah i don't think that'll work <laughs> um but yeah. i don't know man who sold reebok like kmart right like go into kmart and see if you can return them <laughs> yeah, can i get like a uh you know return policy on these i don't want store credit you know like because i'm not gonna buy anything in kmart (laughs) 
yeah, it's it, it'd be it'd be a tough sell. But um, yeah. So anyway, I'm happy with them. And like like I said, um, the pair of shorts that are in question that that I was complaining about, um, I had a gift card for for sixty bucks. I paid like two dollars for them because the person that was trying to gift them to me couldn't find them. So <laughs> so I ended up uh, paying like two dollars for the pair of shorts that I have now. Sonny man, you should have just gone up a couple inches on the uh, on the pan- on the short leg. So that's the the like the funny part too is like. They make like seven and nine inch versions of these, which first of all, you never want to see Lou in seven inch versions of these shorts. I don't know, man. I kind of want to see it once, you know? Like- <laughs> I, I, I like, I might at some point, Adam, just for you, go take, put on a pair of seven inch Lululemon shorts and take a picture in, the- <laughs> in the changing room, in the changing Super room, awkward right? picture on my phone. What's that? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's lose white pasty legs. <laughs> you just got to make sure they're like a good color too. Like, I don't want any like black shorts or anything like that. I, you know, I, something to try to, you know, equal out the, the super white pasty part, you know, so maybe like a, a banana yellow, right. Or a lemon yellow. I'm sure they have a Lululemon yellow, right? Like lemon, lemon, yellow. I don't, like, I, I haven't seen yellow shorts, but most of them are like blues or reds or something like that, but I am sure I could find something, but yeah, I, I might have to give that a try at some point. If I find myself in a Lululemon store, I might just do it for you. Like, woo, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> um, no yeah. some leg. So anyway, uh, yeah, my mine are the uh, eleven inch, a little longer. I'm a I'm a tall guy. Oh, that's not the excuse. You just don't want to show some leg. Well, that is true. That is true. Um. So anyway, uh, my movie thoughts. I guess this is the the time in the show where I have to give my my thoughts on the first movie assignment. Well, yeah, it is the first episode that we're recording in February. So you know, we went through the whole thing when you were gone about your movie list. So. We gave you that first movie, which is Iron Man. So, what'd you think, Lou? Um, Iron Man was was fine. It was it was okay. I mean, I'm not like um, I, I guess I'm not like running to see Iron Man two, and I have no idea if the saying about like the second and the third and the fourth movies are 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 not nearly as good as the first is true about Iron Man. Um, but I mean, it was an okay movie. I, I I don't know that I would sit through it again and like just rewatch it. Quote unquote, but I saw it. It's it was decent. I wasn't like bored out of my mind. I didn't fall asleep or anything. Um, and so I should should say I fell asleep the first time I watched it a little bit, but I watched like fifteen minutes and then I just went back and rewatched the whole thing from the beginning. So, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was good. Um, I kind of I was confused at parts a little bit, so there was that. I guess I was. Um, I was confused a little bit about the the thing that's in his chest. Like, what is that thing? I didn't really grasp. Like, is it some like rare earth metal that's like making him glow and you know makes the the suit come to life kind of thing? So that was a little confusing. Yeah. So it's it's a power source, right? So he had this giant you know arc reactor, which is what powered like his entire factory, and he miniaturized it and put it into his chest that would just power like an electromagnetic. Uh, an electromagnet to keep the shards in his heart uh, or his, the shards like in his chest from going into his heart and killing him. So basically the whole purpose of this thing was to at first keep him alive, right? Which is what the doctor kind of did, you know, just hooked him up to like a car battery and this big magnet in his chest. And then, you know, ran some current through it just to make sure that these shards of, you know, metal didn't make their way into his heart. And he's like, well, this is really inconvenient and I'm a genius, so I should make a better way to do this. And at the same time, I need to get out of this prison. So I need something to power my way out of it. 
So let's A, miniaturize it, and then B, give it enough power to power like a mech or some, you know, suit of armor that can get me out of this situation. So it started just kind of like as a necessity to save his life. And then it kind of became a tool for him to, you know, as he has that, you know, kind of pivotal change after he makes it out of the prison where he's like, I need to stop people like this. Like I've been creating weapons all my life. You know, I've created this, you know, which is, it's a weapon, but it's a weapon that I can change the world with for the better. So that's when he goes on that whole like hero, superhero type vendetta. So that's, that's like crazy because like, uh, there's so much detail you just gave me there. That was like, I guess I didn't put that all together when I watched the film. Like I didn't, I didn't connect all those dots a hundred percent. Like I, I understood that he was trying to get out of, you know, like the prison or the captivity and that, you know, that he owned the weapons company and I get all that. Um, but that, that it was powered by that power source was a little bit confusing to me. So that was, that was good to kind of understand that and go full circle that way. Um, the whole like kind of mysterious love story side of it that is going on with Pepper throughout the, the, the movie where there's that kind of build up um, that I kind of saw coming early, early on in the, in the film. But, um, but it, I mean, overall, like I said, I mean, it was, it was good. It wasn't a terrible film for sure. Um, I, um, I can't really say, I mean, I only know the, the main actor was Robert Downey Jr., but I don't, I, I don't know any of the others really like offhand. So I, I need to like, I feel like read the IMDB that probably would be helpful. Maybe I should work that into my workflow before I start the movies. Cause that might be helpful. No, um, not before after. Okay. Okay. After, after I'll do it after next time. But yeah, anyway, um, it was good. It was good. I mean, if it was like on and like it was at someone's house, I, I would watch it now. I wouldn't like not watch it, but it was good. So I don't know like what a good measurement is for you to rate movies. I mean, I feel like it's good. I didn't fall asleep is a pretty good threshold because, you know, you, you don't watch movies, A. So I don't know. Do we want to come up with like a rating scheme for this? Or do we want to say like, if you had to give it, you know, however many stars out of five, would you, or would you give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, a neutral, like maybe that's as easy as we want to take it because that gives a pretty high threshold for good movies. And then, you know, some more kind of bandwidth for not so great movies. So thumbs up, thumbs down or neutral. Um, I, I mean, I guess I would say neutral in this case, like it, it, it was passable. Um, it, it's not rave review kind of thing where I'm going to give it that thumbs up. I'm going to go run out and watch it again with other people. Um, and it definitely is not like I'm never watching that again kind of thing. So I go neutral on it. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, give it, give it my Ebert and Roper, like three, uh, three stars out of five or something. <laughs> you know what? Like it'll be the Lou, uh, I don't know. So Lou's rating, you know, we, we can, we can figure out something for that. And then maybe we'll, you know, compile the scores and then I can give myself a score at the end of the year and say like, wow, I got a, you know, a 75, you know, percent in this course of, you know, giving Lou pop culture movies. But I feel like if I say that, you're just going to like immediately downvote everything because you want me to fail the course. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I have to say, is if you swing it more towards comedies, I probably will go more thumbs up. But <laughs> you like the slapstick stuff, too. I'll put a bunch of fart videos in front of you. and you'll be like, Yeah, these are great. This is hilarious. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber no, 3 was no. the best movie ever. Uh, definitely, definitely not. No, like I actually probably would not like Dumb and Dumber. I don't think. But um, but. But I do like I do like comedies. Like I actually I think like you know February like I like I said I have seen bits and pieces of Mean Girls, not the whole thing straight through. 
I probably am going to like it. I'm not going to lie. So, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I was going to say, so th- this month you'll, you'll probably be in for a treat. So that's good. Yep. Very true. Anyway, let's get on with the show. So uh, I know we promised the listeners uh, that we would uh, go ahead and do a post-CES wrap-up show. And, um, you know, that's that's what we wanted to do this week. So I think we should kind of just open by talking about the, the trends uh, that are going on. There's always seems to be, like, trends every year. Is, is it safe to say that, Adam? I mean, I know in the years past it's been the, the one I most – recently remembers like there was like home kit a couple years ago is like was super big and i mean you kind of was around this year but it was like really 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 big um i don't tvs are always big but what else caught your eye this year yeah there's always a theme it feels like in ces right where it's either people are focused on robotics or people are focused on you know vr or people are focused on tvs right and Last year was a lot of TVs, especially when you get into like 4K and, you know, OLED and all the things there. And you saw more of that. But I think the the trend this year was putting like voice assistants in everything. Just everything had voice assistants in it. Like everything you could think of, like toilets, you know, smart fridges and just random screens that you could put in your kitchen. There, everything had an appliance on it and, you know, Amazon's voice assistant or some other voice assistant just put in it right so i think this was the year of the digital assistant in every part of the house right and that's kind of topical because like watching iron man right he was talking into the air to jarvis the entire time right so you kind of got that and you also saw his spatial ar right which was really cool so but that's iron man this is not real ces is real and i don't know man like i think this year is the the digital assistant trend where everyone's kind of jumping on that but there were a couple other things too we can kind of talk about each one so on the topic of smart appliances, right? Everything connected to the internet. So like I mentioned, fridges, the toilet was definitely there that had speakers and Amazon Alexa. Oops, I said it. So people's Alexas are going to go off or echoes or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's, there's tons of stuff there. And I don't know if you saw any that you were intrigued by, or if you also saw that trend. Yeah, I, I definitely saw that trend. I did see the toilet that you're talking about. It had like Bluetooth speakers and Alexa built in. So that's, um, that's crazy. Um, the, the trend is definitely in that direction. And I mean, I think we can probably fault Amazon for that in the sense that they, they, what did they do? They like open source Alexa this year. So it's like now any company can just, you know, slap it on their current hardware. And, and so that's sort of, I feel like everybody's easy way to say like, Oh, we've got voice assistants now, you know, they, they, um, company just takes their existing product and slams Alexa on it and says, cool, it's now voice assistant enabled. And so it's an easy win for a lot of companies. Um, as far as other stuff outside that, I think TVs are always generally big. Um, and we always see, I shouldn't even say just TVs, but display technologies are always huge there. And so display technologies have morphed from TVs to and computer desktops to like now we're seeing the VR and AR stuff kind of show up there too. Um, so that's definitely going to, going to happen there. Um, but I think it should be mentioned and we'll probably get into this more and more, but um, <laughs> there, the, half the stuff we see there is kind of just thrown at a wall, right, Adam? Yeah. I mean, before we get into that, right, like I want to touch on the TV thing too, right? Because I, I feel like a lot of this stuff comes up every, every year, right? And 
I want to talk about TVs because I kind of have a problem with TVs. And my problem with TVs is that when's the last time you bought a new TV? Funny you ask. Two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Well, when was the time before that? Oh, 2008? <laughs> yeah, see, exactly. So TVs last, like, on average 10 years. So whenever you see all this stuff at, like, CES about TVs, 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 it's like, they're always appealing just to, like, that year's market. And all this stuff is changing, but there's no, like, real upgrade path for TVs that's, like, I don't know. It They they retain their value and their use for so long that it's it's pretty much pointless to update until some big technology came out. And the last thing that came out was 4K. And, you know, everyone this year is pushing stuff. And I know you and I will get into, like, some TVs that we kind of, like, thought were, were cool to call out. But I don't know, man. Like, when you only buy something every 10 years, it's like, I, I kind of get burnt out on seeing TVs all the time. Yeah, that's totally understandable. And a lot of the TV technology they push, it never sticks. And that's the hardest part about this stuff is that you see new technology there. And I feel like consumers see new technology there. and they expect to go to their local Best Buy or Fry's or wherever and, 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 you know, see that sort of stuff later in the year and they don't see it ever. And they're like, well, what was that? Like all new technology that was coming out. And a lot of it just doesn't stick. You're totally right that like, you know, when I was recently shopping for a TV, I, I have held off for so long because there there was so much that was just unsure and I wasn't sure what was going to really hit the wall and stick. And so I finally settled on, okay, like I 4k is here to stick and I think HDR is here to stick. So I bought a 4k HDR TV. I would love to have gotten OLED, but it's just, it's not there at the size that I want yet. Um, the size TV that I want is smaller. I don't, um, I, I think you're like me, Adam. You don't really want like an 80 inch television in the living room. Um, I don't really want one of those. I'm fine with like a 40, 45 inch TV, something like that. Um, and it's just not there yet. So it's, it wasn't an option, but I think that it's, it's very tough to go, uh, TV shopping because there's so many things they try to hit you with. It's like, you know, the refresh rate, the, this, the, that, the contrast, you know, it's, it's like, and so much of it is kind of like, Oh my God, it's, it's just, I can see the consumers glazing their eyes over. And God forbid you go to a showroom where they're all in demo mode and everything's blown out and it's not actually how it's going to look when you take it home and like tune yeah. everything. Yep. The first thing I did when I got it home was like go online, find a way to like actually calibrated the way it's like supposed to be viewed <laughs> because it's like otherwise it's like blistering and saturated you're like oh my god yeah why is this person pink they shouldn't be pink this person <laughs> looks like donald trump tan like why is that a thing yep um you didn't get 3d in your tv what happened to that man no 3d television nope definitely didn't get 3d and it didn't come with a free uh hd dvd reader you know oh Talk about the things at CES that don't stick. 3D televisions. I'm looking at you. Yep. Yep. So um, I have to ask now, uh, what TV did you get? Oh, God. You're going to make me like go look up the model number. Um, uh, don't don't even look up model numbers. I mean, like that, that can go in show notes. Like, I don't want to pause the show to look up a freaking model number of a TV, which let's pause and just say model numbers for TVs are fucking ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Like, they're, they're ridiculous and a half. It's and, and 55 TV 747 Series 8. What? 
And so if you really look into it too, what I learned is that um, you have to be very, very careful because a lot of times around this time of year, because it's, it's Super Bowl, um, companies will release like, like purposely discounted or like cutting corners quality um, TVs. Yeah, they'll do cheap panels and stuff. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they'll take like an existing model and they'll like alter it just a little bit, and then that cuts like a hundred dollars off of it. And they're like, "Okay, cool." But they know they're going to sell it. Because, a limited you know. run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so annoying. It's like, oh, so I really had to like do my research, and I've been eyeing this one TV since like this, like I would say November, December, and I've been asking for like, gift cards for Christmas. I asked for a couple there, and got a little bit, so it knocked a little bit off of the the total. So did you get uh, Sony? A Samsung? Oh no, a Samsung. Um, I was gonna go with a Sony, but um, I've heard some. I heard some poor reviews on the model I was looking at in terms of the user interface. User interface is um, an Android uh, based interface, and it's just. Um, I guess it's not getting updated. It's like a uh, eight months old or so, and they haven't really released any like software patches for it. So it's got some bugs. So I kind of hesitantly stayed away from that um but i went with a samsung uh 40 inch um 4k panel with a, a hd uh, r and um it has 120 uh hertz refresh rate so uh the, the one i settled on do you get dolby vision on that thing no dolby vision um i wish and i haven't found again this is kind of a uh, a trend I notice is that, and I and I'm not quite sure why, but in um, when it comes to TVs, everything comes to the like 50 inch, 70 inch, highest end one first, and it works its way down market. And I kind of understand why, in some senses, in the sense that you know if you're making a 75 inch TV, you can charge you know six thousand dollars for it, and so there's you know room in 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 that you know to to sort of, you know, charge more and charge $6,700 and get Dolby Vision or whatever. Um, but when you go down market, it's harder because, you know, nobody wants to spend, you know, $1,000 on a 32-inch TV and get all the frills for it. But they're looking at another 32-inch and they're like, well, why is this one 250 So I, I don't know. I, I understand that and I don't because I'm someone who doesn't want a 75 inch. So I really wish I could have gotten like OLED, Dolby Vision, that whole nine yards. I would have paid like a thousand dollars for a TV like that. Uh, but nobody would, would make that that I found. So thousand dollars for an OLED TV? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, maybe check back in four years, but you know. Yeah, well, you'd be surprised. I mean, what? They're like uh, 2,500 or no, like 1,600 for like a 55 inch OLED. So I don't know. Not for like a decent OLED though. Like what LG's OLEDs, maybe like if you get the baseline model, but you're you're throwing at least a couple grand at something like that. Yeah, I, I know at the holidays though, they dropped a lot. They got them down to like 1,600. But yeah, I, I think their retail prices get, is close to two grand. But they. Yeah, Black, Friday, Black Friday deals don't count. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I'm talking like MSRP. <laughs> anyway, so so you got a Samsung, you got a new TV, and did you watch Iron Man on that new TV? Oh yeah, of course I did. Oh well, of course. Yeah. Yep. Totally watched it. Um, you know, the other m- main reason for the TV is uh, um, I I use YouTube TV, so it's a nice new streaming service that I can 
used on that. And then, uh, you know, of course, I kind of updated and uh, ordered a HomePod too. So there's, I kind of like revamped the whole like living room setup, if you will. I, I feel like I'm kind of like set for another, like I'm not going to spend any money in, in the living room uh, experience in the, in the next, you know, like year for sure. Um, maybe after that, I'll get another speaker. I don't know, but I'm definitely not buying a new TV for a very, very long time. I'm on the same track as you, like a 10 year TV kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. Well, back to other CES trends. Yeah, so uh, wireless, you know, this is like a ripe space, Adam. Uh, what, what's going on in the wireless space? Oh, no, just every year there's always, you know, some new powerful router. Or how many more antennas can we put on this router to get, you know, gigabit Ethernet here or, you know, Y gig and all that kind of stuff. So the only thing I saw and the only thing I kind of put in here was that you're seeing more wireless 802.11.ax. So it's kind of we're on AC right now. So AX is kind of the next one that's going to be you know, hitting the the shelves at some point. So you see a lot of that. And like I said, every year at CES, there's smart appliances, TVs and wireless stuff. So very true. Um, you know, it, it seems like some of this is kind of lost on me though, because the whole idea of like a solo uh, wireless router is kind of going away. I feel like um, the, the whole like node mesh network thing is hopefully going to take off because it seems like it's the much, much more stable option. Yeah, mesh routers are nice as long as they're all connected the right way, right? If they all have a connection out, then it's great. Like the mesh network still falls apart, you know, when you get down to, you know, the single the single line, right? And at one point in time, it was funny, I lived out in the middle of nowhere. So I looked at, you know, how they, they ran wireless to like villages, like in Africa and Australia. You know, it's like really, really remote villages. And basically they would have like one or two lines, you know, that they would pay for coming into the village. And then they would have these things called mesh potatoes. They would, they would put on like these poles, like above their houses. And they would basically, they had like long range Wi-Fi, So they would just basically connect to the other house or another house around it. And they would set up their own mesh network for kind of like networking. So I looked at one time doing that. I was like, hmm, maybe I should just knock on my neighbor's door and like, cause you know, where we were, we only got like satellite internet, which the latency was so bad. It was just ridiculous. I was like, all right, well, if we can get five miles away, then five miles away from us is a place where you could pay for like huge, you know, like local satellite downstream, you know, what like visibility, like you could see the satellite dish and point to point satellite instead of, you know, like <laughs> space satellite type things. Right. And I was like, all right, well, maybe we could do this. So it's just funny to see like the mesh, the mesh system has been around for a long time and mesh networks are great for reliability, but you still have the single point of failure in a house and blanketing your home and Wi-Fi is great. And having multiple nodes is awesome, but it really depends on like what you're looking for. Like I run my entire house off of one little, you know, central point and I usually don't have any problems, right? Like I have all the wired connections and then I have the Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi reaches where I need to get to. If you get to a bigger house, as long as you place the wireless in the right place, which is 99% of people's problems is they, you know, put them in the closet where the telco people, you know, told them to put it but in that place like wireless only broadcasts in one direction you know or because there's a wall right next to them you know they're bouncing signal out th- to the house so it's like you get great signal in you know the side yard but you don't even get signal in your you know kitchen because it's not pointing the right way so i think placement is the biggest problem for most people and these mesh routers are just kind of like okay well no one's going to move their router so let's just charge them twice as much to you know just put a router everywhere so yep 
that that definitely seems like the solution. But I think for most people, that's not a bad one because <laughs> most people won't want to invest the time to to handle all that stuff. But... Most people just want to throw money at a problem instead of you know actually solving the problem. I get it. Hmm. Um. So looking at you, Lou. I'm looking at you. You you definitely are, but you got to think. I'm I'm pretty small. Uh, small meat on the food chain here. Like there there are definitely people who are, you know the. I don't know, Mark Arman or like even further, like, like, I don't know, just some lawyer doctor who's like, yo, I got like a 6,000 square foot house and I could either pay some crazy dude to come out and like solve my problem and do all sorts of crazy stuff. Or I could just be like, you know, this like thousand dollar Wi-Fi system with like 10 little things that just plug in in every room will solve my problem. Yeah. That no, seems it easier. should just be the cable companies. They should just, you know, put the Wi-Fi in the right place to begin with. They're the ones going and doing the last mile anyway. They're the ones wiring up everything. So they should just, this goes into my problem is like when you design a house, like put drops where you want, you know, these, these modems or these wireless routers to go. And even then, right? Like all you have to do is run ethernet. So you could still run like the, the coax to, you know, wherever closet you want to and have the modem there. And then just have your routers like throughout the house, right? Like a lot of them run on like power over ethernet too. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very much like, I like setting up wireless networks and I've done it and I've done it the wrong way many times and I've done it the right way once or twice. So it's, it's a sticking point for me because I see things. And when you look at like a decent place or like an office or an enterprise that has, you know, Wi-Fi set up, like they pay a lot of money for access points just because they need to be powerful access points and they need to have, you know, captive networks and they need to do VLANs and all sorts of stuff. But 90% of, you know, what people need to do can be solved with like a $50 router placed in the right direction with the right channel configuration. Like when you pay, you know, over $350 for something that can be solved by something that's less than 50, it's, it's just stupid. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So new wireless standards are coming anyway. that are going to make my argument obsolete. So it doesn't really matter. Very true. Um, so Adam, you, you said that basically CES, you don't really care for it because it's a big dumpster fire anyway, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, what do you mean by this in terms of, I mean, I think we've kind of talked about a little bit of this dumpster fire, but can you expand a little bit more? Oh, I just, I call CES a whole bunch of dumpster fires because most of the time, like whenever you hear people covering CES or whenever you look at, you know, coverage of CES, like you're only surfacing the stuff that was actually worth seeing, but most of the stuff at CES, like no one needs to see it's, it's people, you know, like, trying out an idea or showing something that will never go to market or that's way too expensive or super impractical or serves a very, 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 very small niche of, you know, a market. So I say a lot of dumpster fires because there's a lot of literally like shit that's there that you don't want to see, or you don't need to see. So we picked out three trends, but we didn't, you know, mention the 50 other, you know, different things that are there from robot strippers to, you know, smart toilets, right? There's a whole big spectrum in between those. And we're only picking out three things. So I, I don't really like CES and I, I don't like watching coverage of CES because there's just too much and there's too much. Okay. If you think of a salad, right? Like your favorite part of the salad is, you know, like the leafy lettuce parts. So you don't want like the big, like crunchy, crispy parts, or, you know, you've got some croutons here and there and the croutons are the fun parts. Like CES is a giant salad of just like iceberg, like stocks, you know, like that's all it is. And like, there's one crouton or one leafy lettuce part, you know, but it's a bunch of iceberg stocks and like barely any dressing on the parts that you actually want to eat. So CES is just a whole big shit salad. <laughs> I like that shit salad. Um, you know, it, it really reminds me of 
sort of our frustration with um, Kickstarter when we talked about that. Because there's, there's like so much like rosiness sometimes, and we're like, and eh, then it'll never ship. It's like half, you know, put together shit that is, you know, never going to make it to market, and it's it's just put on by big big companies. And um, I think I mentioned this before when I was. When I was younger, it was like super cool. I always thought it was like, oh my God, CES, I like, I want to live for this. You know, I'm talking about when I was like 15, 16, you know, in the days of like, oh, tech is super cool and, and I, I love this. this is what I want to go, you know, towards. And, and now I'm just like, oh God, I would never want to go CES. So I understand your, your sentiment there. Kickstarter is to CES what Amazon is to retail, right? Kickstarter tried to kind of take the place of like, hey, we don't need a physical location once a year. Like we could do, you know, CES all year round online. Like, let's just do that. People can, you know, come pitch their ideas and, you know, try to get gain interest on it and get some coverage and publicity. And it's just no. Yes, very true. Um, all right. So moving forward, we basically both picked out um, a few things that uh, kind of caught our eye from uh, CES. So um, I guess I'll uh started off and uh say that the first thing that i noticed um was um an alpine uh like double din deck for your uh, car that is um carplay compatible um it's the ilx f309 and of course they don't give it great names um they never give these things great names i remember i replaced the one that was in my car and it was a terrible name for the kenwood model that i have um but the most interesting thing about this thing was just how big it was because i think i paid a very similar amount for mine it was about a thousand bucks or so um and i got like a six inch one i want to say this was like two years ago and this thing's a nine inch one and i know when i was shopping for it i was really really into making sure it had a capacitive touchscreen because i wanted to feel like an actual device that is worth a thousand dollars and not terrible resistive uh touchscreen uh, capabilities and so um i thought it was it was really neat this one supports all that it seems to support most everything that mine supports in terms of like you know backup cameras and all that good jazz are supported um and i've heard pretty decent things about the alpine unit so i this this caught my eye i certainly would not like rechange my car around and put a nine inch in but um these these screens are, are pretty cool and that they're getting that big now um because i think they carplay in general doesn't need to be super big but it's just nice having a a nice big screen to touch on you especially when you're driving you don't want to miss you know uh if you're tapping on something and the smaller the screen is the the harder the touch target is you just need to use voice assistance whenever you're on the road to do all your stuff <laughs> yeah let's just put uh alexa in my car like ford did yeah, man, you just press a button and you you talk to it and stuff like that. Anyway, so Alpine, like I've been a big fan of Alpine. Um, the only bad thing is that whenever I get an Alpine stereo in, you know, my car, since my trucks are pretty old and don't have like modern security systems, it means that they get stolen. So I kind of stopped buying Alpines when the second one got stolen from my car. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like the capacitive touchscreens, I'm all with you there. And nine inches, like this thing's huge. That's an iPad. Like that's an iPad screen, virtually an iPad screen, a little bit smaller, right? But it has an iPad screen in your car. It's huge. Yeah. Like, do you, do you really do you really need it? Like, no, you don't really need it because you shouldn't be spending that much time on your thing. It's a really good argument. I mean, do you really need nine inches? Um, 
of of CarPlay. I mean, probably not. Um, is it nice to have? Sure. Well, I need nine inches, you know, but just not of CarPlay. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's um, it's not necessary, but it's a uh, it's if if I'm going to spend the money, I think I'd rather spend it on this. The one thing I think is going to be really weird and to try to get it to do is it it makes it almost sound like it hovers off the dashboard a little bit or something like that because. I don't know, like, any dashboard that really supports, like, an iPad just fully mounted to it um, without taking away, like, controls for other stuff. So that seems like it would be really hard. Um, some of the newest cars are coming out with seven, eight, nine-inch, you know, screens. But those are, like, the newest, newest cars. If you're talking about, like, modifying your, you know... Honda Civic. Yeah, yeah and there's no way it has, like, a nine-inch, <laughs> you know, cutout to, to put that in there. So that's going to be a headache that way. Cool. So um, I picked out a couple things on my end too. So one of the ones I picked out, which was I thought was interesting, was Project Linda, which is by Razer, which is a gaming company, right? And this is the idea of um, docking a smartphone into a laptop shell and basically having everything now run through the external uh, display and the keyboard. So I, I've always like thought of this idea of like a convertible, you know, appliance, right? Where you're using, let's say, your phone, and your phone's got a lot of power in it, and phones are only getting more powerful, and they can drive, you know, external displays, or you can plug them into, you know, like, HDMI, this and that, but I would love to be able to just, like, yeah, dock it into this dumb shell, and now it becomes, like, a computer with this giant, you know, like, multi-touch, you know, trackpad or whatever, so I thought it was interesting to see, like, one of these, you know, kind of concepts actually, like, in the wild and done, like, by a company that focuses on gaming, so... Curious to see kind of where this goes, but I thought of this one kind of caught my eye and was like, okay, well, of all the crap out there, like this could be really crappy because, you know, you're, you're trying to scale an operating system to run on a tiny little phone. And then also when you plug it in to switch to this giant thing, uh, you know, an actual full fledged like computer. But I thought it was kind of interesting to see just one of these concepts in the wild and uh, see what Razer does with it. So the first thing that I saw when I clicked on the link was that this says it's a concept. Um, so like, did they not actually demo any even prototype hardware? Was it just like a rosy idea that they brought to CES or did they actually like bring something that might work and make it to market? I'm sure like it's a concept in, in the sense where it's like, Hey, you know, this is something that we're working on. This is what we want to do. Whether or not they have like prototypes of it is a total different question, but uh, I don't know. I'd have to look up and see. But like I said, when you're going through all of CES, like this is one of the things. Like, hey, this is what's interesting. This is what I'd like to, you know, see happen. So let's see if we can find some coverage really quick. Okay, that's that's fair. I mean, you know, I do know companies sometimes bring concepts to CES, and that's. Fine, I, I get it. I respect the intent that, like, hey, they want to go this direction. That's the goal. You know, it may not even ship this year. It probably won't. <laughs> you know, um, if it ships in the next five years, great. You know, it's it's that's CS. That's what you take. You know, no, that's what you get when you go there. So I'm I'm not terribly surprised if it is a concept. I just didn't see any pictures on the site that look like they're 100 percent you know hardware. You know, they looked like they're pretty. Uh, concept or, or, you know, photoshopped up essentially. Yep. But since it's Razer, you know, since it's like a gaming company, they'll probably at least put something out there. Cause they also brought out like the, the shield, uh, the NVIDIA shield and a bunch of other things. So makes sense. They'll, they'll get there. 
Um, all right. So my second thing I uh, picked up on was a ViewSonic display. And I think it's like one of the first or the first um, 8K monitor for a computer. Um, and it's, you know... <laughs> Of course, this is this is funny because it's like right on the heels of us talking about me getting a new 4K display uh, or a 4K, you know, uh, TV, and saying, you know, hey, you know that that at CES everything's like debuts like the newest stuff, and so there will probably be a day that 8K will be around for you know TVs, and it's probably not far off um, if it hasn't already come and I just missed it, um, but. This was just interesting because I know a lot of cameras are kind of ahead of their time, especially like red cameras. I think they have some 8K shooting cameras now, but there's hasn't really been displays to edit on. And so that's kind of been a problem for some of those content creators. They're like, hey, so I got this great camera that's shooting in 8K, but I, I can't really edit it on it. And, um, you know, it's nice that USonic's finally come out with one, but um, I will say I think it's got a pretty hefty price tag. I heard... And I, I don't have anything to really back it up I, right now because this page doesn't say anything about it. Their their website doesn't. But um, the, the monitor was probably going to be north of $5,000, which I was like, yikes. But I guess if you're, you know, if you're sporting a $50,000 red camera, you can probably spend five grand on a on a display to edit it with, right? Yeah, and this is kind of, you know, this isn't necessarily TV. This is a, a monitor, you know, with Thunderbolt 3. so. It's got, you know, kind of the, the connectors to, to drive all these pixels. But like you said, people are shooting in 8K and then they have to edit in 4K. And whenever you have to downsample something just to get your editing done, if you're not seeing pixel for pixel, you know, people will freak out about that. Like they want to see exactly what they're, you know, what they're bringing in and what they're editing. So I get that, you know, and I'm sure like, you know, a lot of studios that are making, you know, millions of dollars will buy these, you know, but, you know, same thing in four years when people are finally tired with 4k which it won't be four years from now let's be honest it's probably going to be when did we make the switch to 1080p like that was you know a while back and now we're just getting into 4k and 10 years from now people will be like okay i'm finally ready to upgrade my tv to an 8k tv you know and by that time like 8k like you won't even notice the difference like you can't notice the difference between 1080p and 4k at, at a reasonable viewing distance unless your panel is like you said 65 or 70 80 inches you know so I don't know, like I see this resolution race as kind of meaningless in a lot of ways because people aren't going to be able to consume this content in a meaningful way. And I'm all for, you know, capturing the raw amount of or like the most that you can in the capture moment, right? Like, yeah, when you record video, it makes sense to record in 8K because if you ever want to go back and, you know, upscale that or what what have you, you at least have that raw resolution. But dude, like 4K is fine. I think it'll be fine. Like I said, for a cons- for a consumer standpoint, I don't see this taking off. But you mentioned it's going to take off for people who are this is their life, or this is what they get paid to do, or this is how they make their millions of dollars. So yeah, they'll they'll get into it. So 4K is old, 8K is new, and you know the death of 4K is just around the corner. Not <laughs> very true. Yeah. Um. To to follow up on what you just said about 1080, I mean, like I know my last TV that I bought in 2008 was 1080. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's been a long time. So I don't see 4K going away anytime really soon, but I totally agree with what you, you said about that you want to capture 
as much quality as you can when you're recording. Um, so that capture moment should be as high as quality as you can get it. And from there, you know, it's, it's all downhill because most people are going to consume it at, let's be honest, probably most of America is still consuming on 1080 or 720. I don't even think most of America is on 4k right now. Not for streaming because our infrastructure sucks and our broadband sucks. So you can barely get through a Skype call without any delay, you know, let alone, you know, stream 4k or 8k video. <laughs> Very true. Very true. So, uh, the next thing on my list was the, uh, HTC Vive Pro. So this is kind of the successor to the Vive, which is a virtual reality headset that came out, uh, a couple years ago now. And you've seen like all these other innovations in the space and people kind of getting, getting ready and kind of pushing the the limits of, of what VR can do. And so this Vive Pro, which they uh, kind of debuted and got a bunch of awards at CES, was the other thing that caught my eye. So wireless VR, like it's an actual thing. Like they can finally do it. So you don't have all these cables strapped down to you. And now instead of, you know, lifting the VR headset to see the real world, oh, they, we just put a bunch of cameras in front of the, you know, the thing. So you can switch between reality and the virtual reality with just a flick of a switch. So this was interesting to me because it just shows how that VR scape is, is still changing, right? And people are still kind of figuring it out. And HTC, which was kind of like the forerunner when they came out, right? Like they had an interesting concept and everyone knows Oculus. Like they were one of the first ones to market uh, or to have a concept, but HTC was always like rated higher. Like they had better specs, this and that. So it's cool to see that they're still growing this space. And I think this would be the one like VR headset I would like to try because of the fact that it is wireless and of all the other like improvements they've done to like uh, the display PPI and the pixel count increases and things like that. Yeah. I think that that wireless part is, is huge, man. Um, I have to say the closest I have been to um, trying something like this is um, I did get a chance to try the uh, DJI um, goggles that are their headset that lets you see what the drone is seeing and um, it's wireless, and I think that's a huge, huge uh, advantage for that one. I mean, obviously, the complexity is a little different there because essentially it's streaming a video feed, um, you know, wirelessly um, from the phone, which I think it's doing over Wi-Fi. So there's some sort of like pairing, you know, there. Um, but you know, the lack of wires is probably the biggest uh, step forward for me in that area. Yeah, and it's using just Intel's like form of wireless so their Y gig which is like gigabit wireless speeds so it is doing you know something there to at least you know transmit all that information because yeah you have to you know feed a lot and I think the the thing to watch will be like can they do this with you know no latency because any latency in VR is the thing that makes people sick it's the thing that kind of kills the experience altogether so if you have a decent network like let's just you know pretend that you don't have all this you know crappy wireless signals flowing throughout your house and you have this intel y gig set up you know you should be fine so i, I think you know cables are always a thing holding me back uh-huh get that cables holding me <laughs> back yeah mm. very funny dad jokes uh, yep there it is uh that was the only thing holding me back from actually like trying vr or like being interested in vr so i think now like and i'm not going to spend a bunch of money let's be honest i'm not gonna throw money at this but this is something that at least intrigues me enough to actually want to try it. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Um, we'll have to see if uh, that uh, makes it to market. And uh, if it does, I mean, and I'd be interested in uh, 
given that a whirl. Like that's something that is like the first step in the right direction. If you ask me that way. So what I had up next was uh, the uh, DJI actually uh, Osmo mobile two. Um, so this is their, um, their gimbal and this is their, their second attempt at a gimbal. Um, their first one was you know, really, nothing really that wrong with it. Um, I didn't really find it that terrible. Just the price. Yeah, their price was a little a little high. Um, the price has come down significantly on the second one, um, so they're they're down to I think what's one twenty nine at retail, so not too bad. Um, and um, they made some vast improvements in the battery section because, although I I wouldn't say that personally I'm ever going to use a, a a gimbal for the length of time that the first one I think it was like four hours of battery life. So I, I don't I don't know that I would ever use a gimbal for that long. Um, or be away from a plug that I couldn't recharge it for that long. But the, the mobile two has like a battery built in. So it's an integrated battery. Um, and it's like something like 15 or 16 hours of battery life. So significantly improved that way. Um, so I thought that was really cool and that the price dropped, uh, as much as it did, because I think things like this are kind of like the, um, you know, the next iteration on, like the premium selfie stick or, you know, it's a, it's a better way for you to capture um, and record those memories and, and to get that just the, I don't know, man, like anytime you see like good quality video that is not, you know, jerky, <laughs> it, it actually adds a lot of polish. And I, I feel like as a, someone who, you know, consumes video, if someone's trying to show me a video and it's very jerky, I am, I have a tendency to want to not watch it. And so, um, you know, if you're going on vacation or anything like that, taking one of these with you is probably not a bad idea. Your your memories are going to be a lot better and, um, you know, look a lot more professionally uh, kind of shot, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, so these things, like you said, it's great for creatives because it gives a lot of people like a way to kind of get into the space or play in that space without a high cost of entry. So bringing the price down, adding things like better battery life just means that you can always have it with you. You never have to worry about if it's charged. So I think they did a lot of things right there. Um, as far as like the, the people this, this kind of markets towards, I mean, I've never used a gimbal like when I've recorded any video and they're doing so much nowadays in software, just with like stability and different things like that. So this, I mean, this definitely solves a lot for, for that, but you're still running on like software too and firmware on this device. And like I, I was watching one of the reviews on it. Like it still does some weird things and they had it pointed like towards them and like the camera just started rotating and like trying to like orient itself and it couldn't. So it was having a good time there kind of like flying all around. But I I think it's, it's nice because like you said, it it gives a little more professional like feel to your videos while still using just like the smartphone in your pocket. You know, like those cameras keep getting better and better. Now the tools that are handheld to, you know, kind of complement that are getting better and better. So I think this kind of ties in like just another accessory to your phone that you can have with you all the time that just lets you shoot better video. So I think that's a win and it's something that is, you know, a version two of something. So, you know, it's going to ship. So good pick. Yeah. And and I should point out that, you know, I don't know, Adam, you're still rocking iPhone seven. Uh, no, not anymore. What do you, what are you on now? I, I upgraded to a 10. Oh, look at you. I'd never heard this. So I, I guess we should say that, you know, like since we're both rocking iPhone 10s now that, um, I think the, the 10 has now video stabilization. So, you know, that's a vast improvement. It's kind of had the, 
the photo stabilization for a couple of years now, but I, I think the 10 and the eight was, this was the first year they added that on to the video camera. So that's, that's, that's huge. I mean, and, and in some ways for me, you know, the lucrativeness of, of a gimbal is a little bit, you know, taken back because of that, because my videos are going to look a little better anyway. So I, you know, I'm not a hundred percent committed to maybe buying one of these, but whereas before, with my seven, I, I was strongly considering it a couple times, um, and I'm kind of glad I held off. Yeah, and I mentioned that you know they're doing you know things to fix this. So there's the optical video stabilization, and then there's the software stabilization. And they've been in the software one for a long time, where it's like you take the video at full frame, but then you crop it in a little bit, and then use you know software to just kind of like rotate the video kind of live on the fly, just to like eliminate any jitter you know and movement there. So. They've been doing the software stuff for a long time just with their sensors, but, and I think a lot of companies, you know, do this, but now having like actual optical stabilization is, is just kind of like a baby step towards, you know, the granddaddy of having an actual gimbal, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the next thing that I put on here, so I had to put a TV thing on here as well. And we talk about, you know, TV technology kind of being one of the staples of CES, but it was the uh, LG display that was a uh, rollable. OLED TV, so it, it rolled up like a poster, so you could unroll it and then roll it back up. And they showed like a concept of that. So basically, they had it, you know, all rolled up in a tube, and then they unrolled it, and the panel was on, and they rolled it back up. So we all know, like, one of the benefits of like OLED is that you actually can make it. And we've heard about people making like foldable displays, but I thought this was really interesting and listening to a bunch of people talk about it, it's like, well, this has, you know, some really practical applications. Like let's say, you know, you're a traveling, you know, salesman or whatever, and you used to take projectors with you or whatever. Well, now if you can just unroll an actual TV, like wherever you are, you like talk about taking it, you know, outdoors, like to a beach party or wherever you are, right. Just having the ability to roll out, you know, this 50 inch TV, like why not? So yeah, that's very cool tech. And I mean, something that I think we all kind of dream of because it'd be so nice to be able to like roll up a TV that's like, you know, I don't know, 10 or 15 inches and <laughs> you just throw it in your backpack or throw it in your whatever and just go around and, you know, unroll it and keep going wherever you are. So I, I think that's super cool. And, um, you know, something that I think we're, I'm, I, I don't know, speaking of the iPhone 10, Adam, that you have it, I think the the phone is doing something similar to that um, at the edges of it because the, you notice the, the phone kind of curves off at the edge, and I think they're doing something similar to on the phone where they're rolling the uh, um, OLED uh, panel, um, and I think they, they showed that off uh, in the keynote. I don't know. Maybe I can find an image of that where it's rolled, but... That's uh, cool technology, and if we can get it to the scale of TVs, that's even even more cool to me. So what's going to happen, though, is you know how people get their newspapers right now and they're all on, you know, like actual just paper, printed paper? Mm-hmm. You know what it's going to be is like there's just going to be a rolled-up newspaper that gets thrown in your mailbox when you subscribe to whatever newspaper of your choice, and it's just one of these, like, TVs, you know, or one of these displays just <laughs> rolled up with a little, you know, like... It's got a network sensor. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It just like pings the latest news every day. They're like, yeah, your sheet will go white around midnight and the next day's news will come up. Yep. But you can (laughs) just roll it up and throw it wherever, right? You know, because they they showed this off. I mean, like the flexible OLED displays, they showed off like a long time ago. And, uh, you know, now this is like grown into a full-fledged TV. So I, I think it's funny how they start small 
and then they get really big and then they squeeze it back down into small again. And you see that, you know, from anything from like display resolution and whatever, right? They'll start small with like a prototype and OLED started as really small prototypes, right? Like they started with really tiny TVs and then they made them really big and then they made them really tiny again to, you know, fit into mobile phones. So I think it's funny how you see that, you know, small, big, small, like uh, evolution through most of these like display technologies at least. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's the trend. What can you say? Um, all right. So my next pick was um, one that I feel like was you know right up the alley of uh, the Alexa everything uh, or voice assistant year um, was the first alert um, one link safe and sound. So basically, this is like a, um, a an attempt to try to be like five things in one. If you ask me, um, it is a speaker a smoke alarm and a voice assistant all in one um, for your house. So the idea is instead of having to drill, you know, holes through your drywall or your, your, your roofing and, and drop speakers in everywhere, you now just put the smoke alarm up and you're kind of killing two birds with one stone because you know, you've got um, extra smoke alarms around and you've got speakers and you've got that Alexa capability in every room. I thought this was just an interesting twist, um, something that is clever, um, a good way around, uh, you know, that safety issue. Um, at least right now, it's expensive, uh, but I, I could see this actually having practical application in the future if they could partner with somebody. Uh, if they could partner with the Bose or somebody like that, they might actually be able to to get this to to fly a little longer, and. Um, you know, I just struggle to see them probably get past, um, you know, this year with uh, this idea, at least right now, because they're, let's face it, they're not a speaker company. They're not a company that handles voice assistance, um, but I can see they want to partner. And uh, if they partner with the right people, they might be able to kind of get this to have some legs. So. So this this first alert, right? Yeah, they're they're making this and they're featuring it as an alarm and speaker with Amazon's voice assistant. So it's a two in one thing because it's a carbon smoke and carbon monoxide alarm, right? So it sends alerts to mobile devices, tells you the type and location of emergency in your home. Like that all makes sense. But how many smoke slash carbon monoxide detectors do you have in your house, right? You have one in every room. So is this going to replace the one in every single room? Hey, Adam, I have. Four in my living room because I need surround sound in the living room. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm talking about the just the smoke detectors, right? You only no, need know, one in each room. But but you know, if I want to, but I know you want to put four of these. <laughs> yeah, I got to put four. But see that that's the thing. Like, yeah, I I don't think this is going to be the thing that you you know run all of your stuff through. And I think they're kind of like pointing that out as like extra you know features. That's just cruft that they don't need, right? They could make this like a speaker that has smarts, but it doesn't need to like be a decent speaker. It doesn't need to have all these things. Like those are pluses, but I don't know. I, I think most people, like you said, is this going to be something that, yeah, you walk into the room and you play stuff through this speaker that just happens to be your carbon monoxide alarm. But then when it has to go through an update, like, uh Oh, it's updating and it forgot to do its thing. Or now it's not, you know, affecting or working the right way. Like some things I think get too smart. And this isn't really something we've talked about, you know, yet, but, I, I think putting a digital assistance and everything is, is, you know, okay. Yeah, fine. Like there's a limit, right? I don't need a smart, you know, smoke detector. I like, all I need is for it to go on and off. Like 
you remember the Nest Protect, right? That was a, a thing made by Nest and it was a, you know, carbon monoxide smoke detector. And they had problems with them because they weren't detecting smoke the right way or they weren't loud enough or whatever it was. And they had to issue all these software updates. And it's like, that's the last thing I want to like fail or have an issue is like something that's meant to alert me when something is actually wrong. And you can have, there's a zero tolerance, you know, for failure in this area. So first alert them billing it as what it's supposed to be is great. But the more you add on to that, the more complexity, the more layers you add, the more failure points there are. And this is something I would never want to fail. So yeah, it's cool that it's the speaker and everything, but if it doesn't tell me when there's smoke or carbon monoxide in my home, like get the fuck out of here. Like I don't even want to pay $8 for that. Yeah, I definitely understand that. And um, I, I, I do wonder, should they maybe consider just like building a similar version of their first alert, you know, system that is just the speaker, you know, maybe people want the the speaker side of things. And and this is a really easy way for people to kind of hang speakers without having to, you know, drop speakers everywhere in the house. And, um, you know, I, I can understand it has some lucrative sides to it that way. They can make it a really low profile and, um, you know, sell them at, you know, half the price or a quarter of the price. And that way you could have sound in every room. That would be cool, you know? So maybe they should, you know, quote unquote pivot, right, Adam? And uh, <laughs> and consider that as an option. Yeah, really, just get rid of the other stuff. Like, it's cool if you have a speaker and it's cool if you have, you know, like voice commands. But like, I don't need you to ask me like, or say like, hey, smoke alarm, what's the weather like today? I'm like, I don't, I don't want that. I get that it's, you know, killing multiple birds with one stone, but like, man, you talk about things that are single function and should remain single function, like alarms are one of them, in my opinion. Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, the other thing I put on here was uh, a laundry folding machine. So I know, I think we had talked about this at one point, and uh, there were a couple of these that kind of were at CES, and one of them was like one that was sub $1,000. And that's a crappy one. That's the one where it's like, you have to do most of the work, you know, but the one that I put in here was the $16,000 one, which has its, its own built-in AI and does like digital imaging of the clothes that you put in there, processes, you know, like what type of clothing it is, and then calculates like how it needs to fold it. And it will basically go through and fold all the clothes for you. So I was like, you know what? Like, I have a hard time, you know, like, it's really boring folding all the clothes. Like, I don't actually like doing that. So having a robot do that would be really nice. And seeing, you know, like this is, one of the first, you know, actual, like I said, ones that I would actually want to try or actually want to see in action. So I put a $16,000 laundry folding machine in my, uh, in my picks here. So if someone wants to come fold my laundry for less than $16,000 a year, like I'll pay you, you know, less than $16,000 a year to do it. But yeah, holy crap, your budget for folding laundry is really high. You say I throw money at problems. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I don't throw money at many problems, but when I do, they're the most ridiculous problems out there. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure we can get you um, some serious laundry folding for 16 grand a year. Like, I'm pretty sure for like maybe a grand or two a year, you could just like send it out to a fluff and fold and never have to see it. <laughs> no, see, but it's, it has to be done in my house and I have to be able to call them at like three in the morning because, you know, like the laundry comes out and it's like, I have the laundry. I'm not going to like start folding all my laundry at three in the morning, right? I need to have someone do it. So if someone is going to come out and I'm going to pay them less than $16,000 a year, they have to be willing to come like at the drop of a hat where I just call them and say like, hey, 
I got laundry that needs to be folded or not even that. Cause this has an app. So I need the app to like, just summon like someone to fold all my laundry immediately. Like maybe a task grab a thing. Like I'm sure there's a market for that somewhere, but. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so question, does it like get the laundry out of the dryer and you know, or do you, do you have to like, how do, do you have to give it to the robot? Like, what does that process look like? Cause that's the part that I just, I, I'm not grasping and, and a part that I'm like, okay, is there, are we going to defeat half of the purpose here? Cause I have to like essentially stack all the shirts up first. So it knows like feeding shirt, feeding it a shirt and then it folds them or how does that work? You basically just toss all your clothes in it and it sorts through all of them and folds it. Okay. Right. I'm watching the video right now and just kind of the demo that they had at CES, but you still have to take it the last mile. So you still have to, you know, take it and put it in there. And then uh, I guess there are still some problems with this, this model. I'm watching it and it didn't fold their stuff after 15 minutes. But but anyway, but yeah, you put all your stuff in there that's clean and it's going to go through the clothing and identify it and fold it how it should. So whereas with other ones, right, it's like you put all these shirts on this actual like thing and you lay it all out nice and flat. I think with this one, you just like toss the clothes in there and it grabs them and figures out an audience and does everything that needs to do to get the folds, the clothes folded. Okay. Yeah. I just put the video on, on, on mute and yeah, I can kind of see it doing its thing. That's, that's cool. I'm, I don't know that I'd pay 16 grand for it, but, um, you know, I mean, I do hate folding laundry just like you. Um, but, uh, I, 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 that's not a 16 grand kind of problem for me. I don't know, man. Like it's, it's one of those things that's like one of those things you never want to have to do, right? Like, I don't know person who like enjoys folding laundry. Like maybe some people do, like maybe it's a good way to like decompress and there's, you know, not a lot of stuff that you need to do, but uh, something for me would just be like one of those things where I just don't want to have to worry about it. And I I figured the amount of time that I save, and that's always how I like kind of like go through everything is like, is this worth a dollar a day? And this is definitely not worth a dollar a day. And like, it's definitely not worth, you know, a thousand dollars each time I, you know, fold laundry because then I'd have to, you know, do laundry 16 times before this would pay off in my opinion. So definitely not worth it, but definitely one of the cool things that I saw at CES, it was like, this is like kind of pointless, but I see where they're going. And if they can, you know, get the price down on this thing, like, sure, I'm in. Yeah. Okay. I can see where you're at there. Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I find laundry to be a, a good podcast time. So, you know, I, I, while I fold my laundry, I, I definitely listen to podcasts. I know it only takes probably like 10, 15 minutes, not that long, but, uh, it's a good time for me to, I, I, you know, chew through some of that stuff. So I don't really, I don't really dread it a lot. Um, but I guess I would say I'm, I'm not like quick to fold it either i don't like run to the dryer as soon as it's done you know sometimes it sits for 20 minutes it's not the end of the world for me so i guess my last pick was um a neutrogena product which if you know me at all i'm not into skincare so this is (laughs) totally out of my element but um basically this seems like a product that is kind of like a a way for neutrogena to just sell you more quote unquote um but it's a giant you know um way to augment your iphone um to turn into essentially what your dermatologist has you know a a nice camera with a um you know lots of light to um make uh, recommendations about your skin to you and um you know basically this product seems to suggest uh 
more products to you that Neutrogena thinks might help you or improve your skin and so on and so forth. Which I thought was interesting from like a healthcare perspective of, you know, Hey, like skin cancer is a huge problem. Um, let's face it. Um, most people don't wear sunscreen as much as they probably should. Um, but the, the product itself and the, the idea of augmenting the smartphone at least is, is understandable to me. And one that I think for a lot of ladies, this is probably something they would consider for me as a dude. I'm good. I don't really put, put a whole lot on other than lotion. And like I put on daily sunscreen, you should put on daily sunscreen, Lou. It's a thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't generally put on daily sunscreen. Um, at least right now my lotion, I actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think the lotion has like, I don't know, SPF five or something tiny in it. It's not like, you know, SPF 15 or anything, but that's uh, that's good enough, right? Like that's a good daily sunscreen. But I definitely do when I go to the beach, I, uh, I'm a little white pasty boy. So I, I, uh, my favorite sunscreen of choice is uh sun, sun bum. I don't know if you've, uh, Heard of that brand, but yeah, you're a big white pasty boy, and Sunbum is a bitch to put on. Oh, Sunbum is 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 nice. It's uh, um, I don't know. It just it feels way better on my skin than some of the others because I don't tend to essentially get it to go in my eyes or anything else, and you know, get in the water, and then it's like everywhere. So I don't know. Sunbum seems to last. Um, it's expensive. Don't get me wrong. It's like fifteen bucks at two, but it seems to. Get me through like a week at the beach, and um, I don't come away with uh, a, a terrible burn. So that's the one I go for. But um, this back to the Neutrogena product in general. Um, their app does like a whole bunch of you know recommendations and and gives you like scoring and and you know it's it's uh, it's an interesting product. It's something that I think is a company that has nothing to do with tech, kind of trying to. Um, dovetail into tech a little bit, which is interesting. So it's funny because, you know, when I saw this in the show notes, I was like, oh yeah, the little dot that you put on your fingernail, right? And that's not what this is. So I was a little confused because I was under the impression it was the other thing. I didn't think it was like a camera, like AI thing. So now I have to find out that fingernail dot uh, product that was announced. I don't want to say it was Neutrogena. I want to say it was like L'Oreal or something like that, right? Yeah, a wearable so tiny. Yep, this tiny little wearable. This is what I thought you were talking about. I don't know why, but you know, I thought this was uh, this was pretty interesting. This UV sense, and I think it kind of does the the same thing. It, all it does is measure the UV exposure. Um, so I know that's only one thing, right? Uh, and your other thing is doing a bunch of like skin score and stuff like that. But I mean, you talk about it, like a really tiny wearable just to tell you, like, hey, it's really sunny outside. You should put on some uh, sunscreen. You know, like, okay, I get it. But like it was just, it's funny to see how small these things get. And I know that's totally not what your thing is about, but this is what I thought you were, you had in here when I looked at the show notes. And I think this is more interesting. Okay. All right. Well, you'll have to send me that link over. I want to, I want to take a look at it. I hadn't seen this, so. Oh, you didn't see that one? No, I didn't see it at all. So you'll have to send me that. Um, I'll send you something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but. I'll have to find a better link. Like I'm just shotgunning links to you right now. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. And it just monitors your UV exposure. So it kind of tells you when you're burning. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Hey, the sun is really, really, really powerful right now. Like you're getting lots of sun. 
hey, doofus, you're going to wake up tomorrow. Like, red is a tomato. You should put some sunscreen on. But you know what? Like, it's one of the things where, you know, we were kids. We went out in the sun and, like, did our thing, you know, and didn't really care as much, I guess. And now it's like, God forbid you let your kids outside, you know, for 10 minutes without sunscreen. You know, it's just the worst thing on the planet. And I think we're just all a lot more, like, aware of all the stuff that's happening just because so many studies have come out and so many things say like, Hey, you know, you should really pay attention to this stuff. So I think anything that kind of like builds those healthy habits of knowing when you are being exposed to something that could potentially be harmful. I mean, it kind of goes back to the smoke detector thing, right? Like, believe it or not, there used to be days, you know, where people didn't have smoke detectors and that was a bad thing. Go figure. So I, I think just anything we can do and you saw the wearables market take off a lot and how people kind of adopted like fitness and healthier lifestyles. I think now, you know, we're kind of like, all right, well, now we need to take that into health, right? Where you're taking just care of your yourself. Maybe exercising was one thing, but now you're taking care of your skin. You're taking care of your, you know, food that you eat and all that kind of stuff. So this kind of ties in with your, uh, with your Neutrogena thing too, right? It's like taking care of your skin and making sure that you're not having anything harmful, you know, or anything that needs to be checked out or all this other stuff. So giving you the tools that you need to be healthy and happy and fit and in virtual reality where you don't have to have any of those things. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Well, uh, I guess that pretty well sums up our kind of best of picks, but it wouldn't be complete if we didn't point out some of the, uh, the worst of, of this year's CES. So, um, Adam, I know you, uh, you dropped in here, BlackBerry. Uh, they're still alive. <laughs> yeah, I was like, BlackBerry? Question mark? Are they still alive? <laughs> what did you see from BlackBerry this year? I I heard that they announced a new model of something. So it, they had announced a new model, and it wasn't like a new model of phone. It was just a new model of or a new color of hardware that they already have. <laughs> okay, okay. At this rate, are they just getting like like I don't know like terrible second rate engineers coming out of like college that are just, you know, like, Oh, okay. Well I didn't get any offers anywhere else, but Blackberry works, I guess. <laughs> like I just, it's I, that I, was where like people go. Yeah. I mean, it's like, ah, oh, God, I can't even imagine like when, if you're an engineer at Blackberry today, like your, your life. Oh, I mean like no, no shame, but man, I would, I would be sad as an engineer there. Oh, yeah, it's a brand new bronze color, man. Oh, boy. That's what they announced is uh, their Key One smartphone that comes in a new color. It's bronze. Ooh, so pretty. The colorists, they got to be going crazy over at BlackBerry. I'll say this is that, you know, BlackBerry, they they dominated the market for so long. And then, you know, all the smartphones, you know, makers came to eat their lunch, and they did. And they still have some things, right? Like they still have QNX that they, they develop. So I think a lot of people, you know, going in or going into that and QNX is really flexible. I mean, like you talk about, you know, CarPlay, like that's one of the things that runs CarPlay is all these cars come with QNX and they can run Android auto or CarPlay or whatever stereo system you want them to. So they still have some things going for them, but they're definitely not the mobile giant that they were before. And I thought it was funny, you know, like when you see them in the news, you're kind of like, what Blackberry? Cause you always remember the Blackberries as, you know, the crappy phones or the, you know, Blackberry Pearl or, you know, whatever, you know, Blackberry you had at the time. So it's funny to see like Blackberry announces new hardware at CES. I'm like, what? And like, well, it's not really new hardware. It's just a new color. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't care about that. Yeah, very true. All right. So uh, what else did you see? You saw some smart fridges. Yeah. So <laughs> the smart fridges, 
you know, we mentioned everything is getting smarter, right? Or they're putting all these appliances there. But the smart fridges, and this isn't the first year you've seen them, but there was just like a plethora of them now, right? Like everyone has their own brand. But um, you've seen Silicon Valley, right, Lou? Like that's one of the TV shows you've actually watched? Yeah, I've seen a bit of it. So have you, well, okay, a bit of it is, is a thing. Like, have you seen all of it? Not all of it, no. I haven't seen the latest season. Oh, uh, okay. Well, then you won't get this reference, oh, which kind of sucks. Sad. So um, basically, you know, their whole model, and I'm going to spoil it some bit for you because, dude, it's two years after or a year after. Like, you should have watched it by now. Okay, spoil it. Basically, you know, how they had, do you remember when they had their big server rack and they were running it on GPUs, just kind of like cryptocurrency miners, right? Mm-hmm. And they had a name for it. Do you remember what the name was? Mm, no, I don't recall the name. So it's uh, Guilfoyle named it Anton. That was his, uh, his creation. His name was Anton. So basically they're trying to find a way to, you know, spin up enough power, you know, to, to power up this, to power up Anton and basically hook him into a network that's going to have enough storage to, you know, take over everything. So they're trying to move Anton and Anton ends up breaking. So they get all sad, but Earlier in the season, they had bought this smart fridge that was like super easily hackable. So they bought this smart fridge and turns out that they had basically hacked it and Anton had found a way into the smart fridge. So even though Anton broke down, he had basically injected his code into the smart fridge and everyone who had a smart fridge in Silicon Valley, they were now, you know, basically running this distributed data storage network. <laughs> so when I, whenever I see smart fridges now, I just think uh, secretly it's Anton, you know, like, you know, serving up all this data. So. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good one. Yeah, smart fridges are. <laughs> oh man, I mean, I remember when TVs were in fridges. The smart fridge that I put a link to is just—it's ridiculous. Like it has same thing. It's got speakers. It's got you know voice assistant. It's got all sorts of stuff. And it's like when you look at the press release from you know like Samsung, it's like simplifying life with connected home control, enhancing food management. Strengthening family connections. How is a fridge going to strengthen my family connections? Like, what? Like, oh, you can show your shared calendars on it. I'm like, that's not strengthening a family connection. Like, that, no. Creating new ways to have fun at home. Like, I don't want to have fun with my smart fridge. I just want it to give me my freaking cold food. Like, that's all I want out of it. <laughs> uh, I don't want to have fun with my smart fridge. <laughs> it, I don't need to have fun with my smart fridge. It's, it's just not a thing. Smart fridges, strengthening family connections since 2018. You can get a, uh, a stripper robot and a smart fridge, and you'll be all set. No, because then the stripper robot's going to you know start getting busy on the smart fridge, and then <laughs> <laughs> that's no fun for anybody. Uh, okay, yeah, smart fridges. No, we don't want them. Nobody wants them. I think you and I can agree there. You see, like I said, some things don't need to be smart. My toilet doesn't need to be smart. My fridge, like... I get some aspects of it. Like it would be great to tell me when the milk is bad or to tell me when I need to order more stuff or to automatically order more stuff when I use the last of it. Right. But that can all be done with some image scanning on the inside of the fridge. But that's all I want. I don't want anything on the outside, like telling me what the weather is like, no, no, I have things for that. And I'd rather shout that into the air. I don't want to like, I don't want to interact with my fridge. (laughs) Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I mean, as far as the toilet goes, the toilet's always a funny one for me. I, I don't know. I, I think it would be nice to have a heated toilet seat. Don't get me wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's smart. I mean, I can set that number. That's not that hard. Just build a little knob on the end of it. It says, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. You know, I just turn the knob and there it is. It's it's that hot. Um, you know, it's not, it doesn't need to be like 
complicated. I don't need Bluetooth speakers, and I certainly don't need damn Alexa while I'm in the bathroom on the toilet. So this is like, you know, kind of get into the robot uprising stuff, which we'll talk about more in a little bit too, is like the less the less smart things you have, the easier it is to get around them. Like you've seen all the horror stories where like the appliances come alive and start shooting at you and like they don't let you eat, you know, because they locked your fridge and won't let you in, right? Like I need a way to get around that. And most of the time now it's like, I'd rather have manual control for like, let's say the toilet seat cover, right? Like I'd rather have manual control where that switch I can turn off and on, you know, and just let it do its thing. But I'd like that switch to be smart, right? The switch can basically say like, hey, I can remotely turn it on or I can turn it on at a certain time or event, right? Like that's all that I need. Like the smarts doesn't have to be in the actual appliance that I'm, you know, putting together. The smarts just has to be in the connection that, you know, controls the binary on off switch. And that thing can be smart. And I can trigger that with some other automation, right? But I don't need the fridge to do all these things, or I don't need the toilet seat to do all these things. I just need it to do one thing, and I can control when that happens with some other appliance. Like, I don't want, I don't know. I like still the manual, you know, flick of a switch, and I want that to be remote as well. So smart fridges don't need to be smart. Smart toilets, you know, like, maybe, because maybe you spend some time on the toilet, you know, and that's some intimate time, and you kind of want to, you know, do that, but... Who wants to troubleshoot a Bluetooth connection on the toilet? <laughs> I, I just got this like image of somebody like, uh, you know, sitting the wrong way on the toilet, like knees back into the wall and like, just like trying to troubleshoot the Bluetooth connection on the back of the toilet. <laughs> like rebooting your toilet. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. I can't flush. I'm rebooting. <laughs> Have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> yeah. Unable to flush rebooting. <laughs> oh God. What if it sends a notification to everyone when the toilet's clogged? <laughs> Software update in progress. Unable to flush. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I have guests coming in two minutes. I need it to finish. <laughs> <laughs> oh darn! I got an error message. Unable to update. Now I'm unable to flush. <laughs> Brick your smart toilet so it can't flush anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right. So sleep tracking stuff. Uh, so what's what's new on this front, Adam? Or is there anything? <laughs> Well, yeah, there's tons of stuff that's, you know, claiming that it's going to give you better sleep. And we talked about this when we we talked about our fitness episode, right, where we were tracking, you know, certain aspects of like sleeping and tracking data and how sleep was one of the things where we were both kind of tracking, but we weren't really tracking it in a way that was meaningful, right? Like, how do you track sleep in a meaningful way? And there's all sorts of like stuff out there is like, oh, well, we can detect when you toss and turn or we can detect when you're on REM sleep. And this and that. So there were all these things at CES this year where it was like a mask that emits light, you know, in the morning, you know, to help you wake up. I'm like, yeah, well, we have a thing that does it already. It's called the sun, you know, and it comes up in the morning when we should be waking up. So I don't think we need that. And then all these other things like we can simulate, you know, pulses, you know, and gentle audio or sine waves to the brain, you know, to help you fall into REM sleep. And there's all this stuff out there that's claiming that it's going to get you better sleep and better tracking. And none of it's actually proven. Like there's not really any real research that's gone into this stuff so it's almost like someone trying to jump on the bandwagon for something that doesn't need it right like smart fridges that's you know just it seems senseless and meaningless but trying to provide something that is giving you a number that you don't know or you don't understand or you don't know how to take action on it is stupid in my opinion and i think all the sleep tracking stuff that comes out is like is pointless right i haven't tried it so i can't say for sure that like oh my gosh you know maybe the placebo effect is so strong that i put this thing on and like i fall asleep like a baby every night but i 
I'm good enough with knowing I went to bed at this time, I woke up at this time, and I went back to bed, or I went to bed and then I woke up in the morning, and that's it, right? Like the rest of the stuff, I feel like there's not enough meaningful data or there's not enough real research or proven ways that people can like help improve your sleep. So all these smart, you know, devices that are coming out are just kind of like, like you said, throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, I, I mostly have to agree with you. And I don't know, I have very little pity for people in this area because I don't have a sleep problem. I go to sleep. I don't know why. I just have never really had a problem sleeping. So I go to sleep. And so for me, sleep tracking is like, I, I'm like you, Adam, I mainly want to just know when I went to bed, when I woke up, so that I know I'm getting roughly the right amount of sleep, not the quality so much. And hopefully, you know, someday down the road, there will be some research that proves, you know, quality is good to know, and here's a great product that can do it. But for right now, it's, it's kind of the Wild West. Look at all the numbers we can provide on your sleep. It's like, well, what do I do? Oh, I don't know. Did you try a new mattress? Well, no. Do I need a new mattress? Well, it might help. <laughs> what? <laughs> try a different pillow? Go to bed earlier? Maybe don't drink wine before bed? Like, <laughs> Oh, drink drink wine before bed and, and I will be asleep like a baby in no time. But <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Um, all right. So last but not least, uh, the $3,000 uh, Spot Robot Dog. What is that? Spot Robot Dog. It's what? Ibo, right? By Sony. I don't know. I'm just calling it Spot because it's a dog. So, dude, did you see this thing? No, I'm I'm clicking on the link now. So, yeah. So, Ibo is a is a just a, a division of Sony, I believe, that's been out for a long time, and like there was a big kind of following around it, and they cut off support uh, a while back, and basically people were really upset because they had like gotten to know their pets, and they're all about making these, you know, like robot pets. So people had robot pets, these little dogs, you know, and they're supposed to behave like pets and you treat them like pets and, but they're just little robots. So Sony announced basically a new version of that, like a resurgence of this Ibo, you know, like product line. And they have this dog, which is a $3,000 dog and it's got some OLED eyes. So it's really expressive. It's got a bunch of touch sensors on it. It's got a camera on its nose so it can know who it's talking to you. It's got a bunch of AI put in it. So basically it will uh, behave like a dog. It'll be expressive and it'll bark at you and when you pet its little back it'll wag its tail and it's got a little camera on its butt so its knows like how to orient itself and uh how to find its charging spot so it can go sit on that and recharge and takes about three hours i think to recharge is one of the things i remember from the video (laughs) it's gonna sit on its charging spot that's just too good you just gotta sit on it you know get those electrics you know right up its you know charging point oh <laughs> uh, yes yes okay so and apparently it's got like ai built in it's like so the family members that play with it more you know it behaves different with them it, it it it's more loyal to them because they play with it more and i'm like oh my god and then they're talking all about this and like yeah so it's gonna start at three thousand dollars my three thousand dollars think of think of this like i don't know i mean three three grand i actually can somewhat i don't know i can get over that because people pay stupid money for dogs well Stupid money for a real dog, right? Like, it's a real dog, a dog that actually has a personality. It's not a manufacturer personality. But I'll throw this out there, is that it's really hard to rent places that are dog-friendly or pet-friendly. So you talk about, well, I have a dog. It's a robot dog. So it, it makes no mess, you know? It doesn't do anything, you know, bad. It's 
But I mean, is it going to bark and like, you know, like come greet you when he gets home? Or is it going to have to hobble off his charging stand? Like walk up to you and like, yeah, that's, that's totally what I imagined too. Is like, it, it hears the noise in the house and it comes, you know, you know, waddling over as fast as it can when you get home. And it's like, you're never going to be able to like play fetch with it. You're not going to take it to the dog park. You're going to be like, yeah, I'm the lame dude with the robot dog here. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, dog beach is not a thing. And you know, what happens when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're staring this dog like right in the face, like, cause it got off his charging spot, somehow found its way up onto the bed and is staring at you. That's right in your, into your soul with its OLED eyes and it's blinking at you and you don't know what to do. Like that right there is like the shit of, you know, nightmares. Like I, I don't want to be anywhere around a robot dog uprising. Does it get vicious? Does it like, will it bite me? Could it like bite the kid? You know, <laughs> like, they can pick up a bone and who knows, you know, the actuators that they put in there, what actual strength they can, you know, do. But the more they make them like real dogs, the more that, that can probably actually hurt you. I mean, the reason I ask is like the, the dog, the dog is in my life. I mean, like the dog's pretty much on Prozac. So, uh, cause the dog's a little, little, little nuts. He's a little edgy. Um, he, he was a rescue. And so the dog has to be like a little bit, you know, uh, you know, sedated that way. He's got to got to be on his chill pills. Um, so, you know, I'm like, hey, maybe the $3,000 robot dog won't, you know, bite somebody or me like, you know, my dog would basically. Maybe you got to, you know, like open the app and give us some chill pills if it's if it's too hyper. <laughs> uh, that's you know, funny. when it makes a mess on the ground, you know, like this reminds me of like, um, those like Tamagotchis, but like, this is like the Tamagotchi on like steroids. <laughs> is he like, I don't want a real Tamagotchi. Like, I don't want that. Like if anything, give me a virtual reality dog, you know, like, okay, that's fair. I think that would be better. Yeah, that's fair. Cause you could simulate a little more and like, you could do a little more with that dog. I mean, this is just a little robot. It's a little tiny robot. I mean, it's not that big. It's a little chihuahua sized robot and it's going to, yeah, I don't know. I saw it. And then I saw the $3,000 and I'm like, this is this is what's going to happen. The smart fridges and the robot dogs are going to take over and they're going to uprise and there's going to be some AI that basically takes over all the robot dogs and all the smart fridges, doesn't let us eat anything, and then we're constantly tortured by these dogs, you know, making us all sleep deprived and it'll be the end of things. Okay, very true. Our sleep tracking stuff will basically tell you you're not getting enough sleep and you're like, I know, my fridge won't open and my dog keeps bugging me. All right, well, uh, I think we did a pretty decent first stab at a ces post show what do you think adam ces the crap show that it is right like what what are we gonna do talk about the funny things i don't know maybe like the best of like i can probably limit that to like three things next year like all right cool yeah these are the best things and let's just talk about all the crap stuff because yeah that's way way more fun fun to talk about (laughs) it totally is it's way more fun uh ces ces well um in in a little bit of other news i uh I did send Adam a link this week to uh, a uh, Overcast client um, that is for the Mac. Um, it's it's not a client, I should say. It's like an attempt at at wrapping the web view. Um, but uh, it's one probably like the best one I've seen because I'm not a big fan of using the actual web client that Marco has like built out because I tend to be like a uh, a quitter of applications. I know Adam, this is probably not your case. You probably have Safari open like 
all the time, but I quit, I quit Safari when I'm not using it. So for me to just have that open and be like, Oh God, why don't, Oh dang, I just quit it. And now I lost the podcast I was listening to. So for me to have this running in the menu bar and for it to look similar to the app is kind of cool. Um, but I would love to see just a full on, uh, you know, application instead of the stupid web view. So, yeah, I don't know. My whole thing, like, I tried podcast clients that had actual Mac clients. So I was on, I think, Instacast before I switched to Overcast. And Instacast had a Mac client and an iOS client. And I can honestly say, like, Sync was great. But the amount of times that I used the podcast client on the Mac were few and far between. So few and far between that I didn't feel like I even justified paying the money that I did for Instacast. So I can understand and I can kind of, you know, make peace with the fact that Marco doesn't want to, let's say, like develop an overcast like Mac app. But I don't I don't do a lot of listening on the Mac. Like when I'm on the Mac, I'm doing stuff on the Mac and I can put a podcast on just on the phone, right? Or whatever. And I can have something else, you know, where there's an actual client and a better response to that. And I'm missing keyboard shortcuts and a bunch of stuff, but I don't see the need for it. And you brought up like a bunch of disdain and I know like you type this in here and then I put like a bunch of bullet points, just like venting basically on the, on the use of like web views and web clients is like, this thing's great, right? Yeah. It puts something in the menu bar and wraps it in a web wrapper and like remasks it and like puts its own little custom UI on it. It's like, I fucking hate web view applications. They're just, they're, they're crap. They're the worst thing. So I'm looking at you Slack and I'm looking at you, you know, every other thing that uses like a web interface to basically say like, Hey, you know what? We're going to give you an application. I'm like, Oh, awesome. An app that's going to run native on the device is going to be, the code's going to be all optimized. And then you boot it up and it's like, log in. And I'm like, this is a web view. Yep. It's a web view. And just like, kill me, man. Like it, they're just, they suck so much. I feel your pain. I definitely feel your pain. So I, I understand from that perspective. This is just kind of like, for me, the first one, it's like, I don't know. I've seen a few others and they just were like terribly hacky. Um, and this one at least kind of feels like the app in the sense that it looks like the freaking app. But um, so someone put a little bit of work into it, which is cool. But um, but beyond that, um, yeah. And, and I mean, I understand. I, I respect Marco's decision to not make it for the Mac because... You know, I don't know how many users he has of Overcast, but it's from what he talked about on the watch and how many people use the watch app, I'm pretty sure it would be about the same for the Mac. I mean, we're probably talking single digit percentage of people that would use it, you know, on any constant basis. And so for that to be said, it just, it would be silly, I think, for him to develop it. But would I love it? Sure, I would, because I would, I would probably be one of the few that used it. I still do pause, play and stuff on my watch with his app. Um, quite a bit. So I, I personally would use it, but I'm, I realize I'm one of the few. And like, I understand that, you know, why web views exist. And I understand why these applications do that, because like you said, in, in a constantly changing landscape, right, it's easy to write something that's universal that can be universally rendered in any browser and run, right? There's, there's some real value to that, right? It's one of the things why Java was so popular, right? Where you could, you know, write once and then, and then compile onto many, right? You could write, just one set of code, pseudocode, and that would, you know, compile out to machine-specific code for whatever operating system you're on, which is why Java, you know, was a was a big thing. But there were a lot of problems with Java apps, and we, we have those same problems with WebView apps. Is th- they work, you know, to get the job done, but 
anytime you try to do anything complex or anything with performance, like they're just lacking in that area. There, there aren't good ways to do that. There are still a lot of bottlenecks. And as you know, web standards kind of open up, like some of those have been solved, but it's still, it's still tough to do. And like I said, I understand it because who wants to, you know, write, let's say a client for, you know, the watch and a client for the phone and a client for the iPad and a client for Mac and a client for windows and a client for Android and a client for Linux, you know, who wants to do all that? If I can wrap it in a web view, you know, and basically say like, here's a web portal to where you can access it anywhere, no matter what operating system on, as long as it support open web standards, I get that. I get that it's easy, but sometimes the easiest approach isn't the best approach. And for something that I use every day, I I don't want it to be a web view application. Well, that's fair. I, I understand where you're coming at or coming from on that. I'm sorry, my rant is over. I'm done. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that uh, does it for us this week. Uh, if you can uh, do rate and review us on iTunes, I know that's something uh, I unplugged last week, and I'd love to see those uh, ratings and reviews go up. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CGFMCast. Uh, if you have some time. Drop us a line there or bug Adam, please. Yeah, please, like rating and reviewing on iTunes. I know it's something that, you know, everyone says in podcasts, but it really does help kind of like surface our podcast to, to more people and kind of keep the lights on for us, which is which is a great thing. So if you could do that, just it takes, you know, two minutes. It would really, really help us out and we'd really appreciate it. So what, see you next week? Is that is that the awkward goodbye that we're going to go with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can we can go with that. Just a nice like thirty second, and then see you next week. I'm down. Yeah, right. Just <laughs> a nice little pause, and then see you next week. <laughs> I'm down. You already have Ecamm set up. Just next time, ditch Ecamm because we don't need a 7 gig file to go along with the rest of the recording. All right, come on. <laughs> Dude, I'd, I don't want to sit here and wait for a 7 gig file to download. The last time I had to do that, I was like, ugh. And this, this is this is probably... How many of so, Wait, wait. Don't get rid of that one. Like, that's the one interesting one. The Belkin Smart Bridge Wemo HomeKit? No one gets a crap about that. Speaking of uh, of using the toilet, though, I'm gonna run real quick, and I'll be right back. I I, I make the mistake. I make the mistake of uh, I bring like 40 ounces of water, and um, I drink all my water in the first like 20 minutes. It seems like every episode, and then like I'm like, God, terrible decision. We're two hours in, and now I gotta go.